Okay, yeah, we'll be in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. Um, before, we, before we get there, I just wanted to uh, mention something real briefly. Um, I just wanted to make a... Uh, doesn't concern any of you guys in here, but I just wanted to make a public apology. Um, so the last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, I was just contacted by a couple of people that I, that I love dearly. And, um, and so... So and I went back and listened to my sermon and and I just I just unintentionally said a few things that that I think hurt a few friends of mine some people that had left our church before and I was I think just in the, in the way that I phrased it I was insinuating that a few people had left for unbiblical reasons and um, and I just I could have been wiser with my words and so I apologized to them and I and I wanted to make a public apology. Um, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily think that they they had their reasons for leaving. Uh, what was best for their family, and I respect that. I never told them that, and and basically, I just let my emotion at the time just cause me to say a few things that I I just have to be real careful, and I need to be above reproach, and um, again, just foolish with my words. It, it it it's made me think about a lot of things, and I've and I have several pastor friends of mine. And I've asked them to just hold me accountable because I don't have another elder or pastor to <laughs> help hold me accountable. So just anything I say, I, I take this very serious and I want to be above reproach. So I just wanted to make that public. And I want to be a good example for you guys as well. So with that being said, guys, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37 today. Uh, the title of the message is The Power of Jesus Over Demons. This thing on? Okay, yeah. The power of Jesus over demons. And so we'll look at that text in here in just a moment. So we're going to see we're going to see Jesus' encounter with a demon today in the synagogue. Really the first of several in the in the in the gospel of Luke. Really when you go through the gospels, it's a fairly regular, regular thing. And um, so we're going to look at the first one today. I think you guys would probably agree with me that the world by and large, is very deceived when it comes to the subject of demons. Do you not agree with that? You know, whether it be some people don't even believe in their existence. They want to deny their existence. Which, that's just fine with the devil, right? That's great. You don't, if you want to believe I don't even exist, that's, that's a form of deception. I think many others would just be uh, maybe, maybe deceived about just the, the purpose of demons. You know, what, what they do, what, uh, why they're here, and what... What, what they're all about. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would see demons, and this could, this could even include people in the church, but people in the world, you know, they think of demons as just only, when, when you think of things like the occult, and obviously that's very demonic, or, or when you think of things like horror movies, there'll be, there'll be many people will be quick to say, yeah, that's, that's very demonic, and they are. Those are rather obvious ones. But when I think of things, when I think of the subject of demons, James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 come to mind. This is what, obviously the world don't, doesn't think like this, and many even Christians don't realize, and James is talking about a form of wisdom that produces bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and he calls it earthly, natural, and demonic. How many times do we think of these things as being demonic? These jealousy and, and selfish ambition. He says it's demonic. And so, a lot of deception when it comes to the subject of demons. So that's why when you're going, we go verse by verse, and you come across a text like this, hopefully we can, we can clarify, clear up some things about demons. The world's also very deceived about who Jesus is. I think you guys would say amen to that. And, and, and Jesus... And, and the demon, they're the two main characters in the text today. And by and large, the whole world's deceived about the subject of demons and about who Jesus Christ is. That's a scary place to be. If you're, if you're deceived about who Christ is and deceived about demons, you're in a bad place. You're in a bad place. You think of liberal theologians, right? Liberal theologians, those who deny maybe the authority of Scripture and everything that it says... They're actually doing the work of demons, whether they realize it or not. Because I, I believe that's where um, 
and I'll probably say this more throughout the message, I, I think that's where demons do most of their work, is in false religion. False Gospels. Many in the church also are ignorant of what, of what even to do with demons. Right? This may even be uncomfortable having a sermon about demons, but it's in the text. And so, but what do we do with demons? Some people would just want to ignore, or some people just ignore, pretty much ignore demons completely. Right? We don't want to do that. We don't want to ignore demons. Paul says that we need to be wise. We need to, we need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. No, demons are very real, guys. They're all around us. Fallen angels and holy angels. It's a spiritual battle and they're, and they're real. So we don't want to ignore them, but then you have the other side, right? There's two ditches. We want to have a healthy middle. You have the other side. They're obsessed with demons, right? Demon, you know, there's a demon behind every door and, and there's uh, every, every sin you deal with. Well, I've got the demon of pride. I've got the demon of anger. I've got the demon of lust. I've got the... We, but we don't want to do that either. That, 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 because what happens when we start thinking like that? James says that we're accountable for our sin, right? And we're drawn away by lust and these things. So you can get so you can get so far the other way that everything's a demon. To where all of a sudden you're not even accountable for your sin. And that's where you see a lot of these deliverance ministries. Okay, so we're going to talk about these things, answer some of these questions. I think we all need to be reminded of where demons came from. Lucifer led a rebellion. First of all, they're created by God. All the angels are created by God, I believe, in the first six days. Uh, but Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven. And he was cast out, and a third of the holy angels with him, which are now fallen angels or demons. And guys, so they've been here a long time. Okay? They've been here a lot longer than you and I have. And so in, in so, a certain sense, they're very wise. And they, and they, and they know us, in, in a sense. They know... Meaning they know us, but they know, they know mankind. They've been observing us and tempting us. And so they've had lots of time on this earth. And they, they now roam. When we, when we think of verses that, that, that the devil you know, roars like a, like a lion seeking someone to devour, guys. He uses his demonic host to do these things. He can only be in one place at one time. So these demons are roaming the earth and, they're, and, and they are fueling this evil world system that we live in that's opposed to Christ. And we think of verses like 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the devil's called the God of this world, right? He blinds the minds of unbelievers. But he doesn't do it all by himself. He uses his demonic host, his demonic army. In 1 John 5.19 it says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we, we have a very real battle that's going on in the invisible world, that's really, it's more real than the world you and I live in. If we could have eyes to see it, we'd understand that. And so, what we need to understand about demons, because that's what we're talking about today, guys, they hate God. They hate God. They hate Christ. They hate God's purposes. And guess what? They want to thwart His purposes. Now think back two weeks ago, the last time I did preach, can God's purposes be thwarted? Absolutely not. Martin Luther said, right? The devil is God's devil. So he actually uses the devil to accomplish his purposes, even in his people. I just say especially in his people. So no, he can't thwart, or they can't thwart the purposes of God. But think of, think of this, guys. Think of John 14, verse 6. What does Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's how they try to thwart His purposes. Jesus says, I am the way. What does the demons come along and deceive people say? Oh no, there's multiple ways. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its, a, it's way is the end of, ends in death. So He tries to thwart the purposes of God. The way, He said, I am the way. There's only one way to heaven. But we know that when you go talk to people, everybody's got their own way. It's demonic. I am the way and the truth. What does the, what does the deceitful demonic realm say about that? Oh, no, no, no. God's Word's not true. Did God really say, you have your own truth? There is no such thing as absolute truth. You see, that's the way, that, that's the, way the demons work. They're opposed to Christ. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
In Christ, there's life. All we've got to do is think of something like abortion, right? That's demonic. They're all about death. They, they hate God. Anything God is for. You could go to every, any area of life, right? Marriage. Between one man and one woman. And we see what's going on in our land. The LGBT. But it's all fueled by demons. And we could go on and on and on. All the false gospels out there. So what do you and I... What do we do with demons? These are just a few of the questions, guys. I'm just going to... Just a few questions and we'll try to answer these today. What do we do with demons? How should we think of them? Should we fear them? Should we simply ignore them? What about deliverance ministries? And can Christians be demon-possessed? I'm just going to answer that one right now. No. If you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, nowhere in Scripture do we see a Christian indwelt by the Holy Spirit possessed by the devil. Now, you can be oppressed, right? You can be oppressed, heavily influenced, but you cannot be possessed. We're, as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that, let's answer that right now. But let's look at the text, guys, in Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through 37, then we'll go through it. We've got just two points today. Luke 4, 31, 37. It says this, And he, Jesus, came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone! What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about Him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, Lord, we just humbly approach Your Word, God. We understand that this is Your Word. That it's true. Father, that You breathed it out. And, and so, Father, I would just ask You to help me, Lord, to communicate this Word. I would ask that Your Holy Spirit would help all of us, God, to hear what You would say to us today, to apply it to our lives, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified in this place today. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Quick, very quick review, because we're, we're, we haven't... It's been a few weeks since we've been in Luke. And so, in chap, just going back to chapter 4, guys, if you remember the first 13 verses, was that all familiar passage where Jesus is... Uh, really, before He starts His ministry... He's led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, tempted by the devil. So we see Jesus as a man overcoming the devil in his personal life here um, through uh, resisting his temptation, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. That's what he fights with. So we talked about that, how we, we apply that same thing in our lives, right? We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. We fight the devil with the truth of God's Word. Amen? Not with our emotions, not by how we feel, but thus saith the Lord. Verses uh, 14 through 21, we saw really where he, uh, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit into his, the place where he grew up in Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. He opened the book of Isaiah. I think it was Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. We see in verse 18 where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So basically, he was, he was declaring to them, right, that this has been fulfilled, that I am the one. And, and the, we, we get a glimpse into the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to this verse. Um, but, he, but he said, Hey guys, it's me. You don't have to search any longer. I'm the fulfillment, I'm the Messiah. And so, and then, and then, and then verse 22 through verse. 30, which we looked at a few weeks ago. Continuing on in that sermon, those, those folks in Nazareth became so angry at His message that they tried to throw Him off a cliff. And we just looked at that, you know, that, that week that 
that really men in their sins, this world, they hate the truth of God's Word. And it doesn't take a whole lot to see that. Just go out in the public and preach His Word. And I can assure you, you'll say, yeah, that's very true. So that kind of brings us to today, where we're at today. He's, uh, so in verse 31, it says, Now he came down to Capernaum. Before I, even, before I even go there, guys, I just want to say this one statement, because we need to understand this. This is just really a summary of this passage, guys, and that demons are terrified of Jesus Christ. Okay? Understand that. They are in fear. They were then and they are now. It's the same demons roaming the earth. And they are terrified of Jesus Christ. If you take nothing else from this text, understand they are terrified of Christ. They know who He is. So it says in verse 31, under point number one, guys, we're going to see this first part, that the demons' desperate cry. There should be an apostrophe there. Um, I probably didn't make that clear when I wrote it to give to my wife. <laughs> but yeah, it's just demons, it's just one speaking. But, you, but it's true for all of them. It's the demons' desperate cry here in the synagogue. That's what we're going to see. But in verse 31, it says, they came, And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Verse 32, And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Really, you could think of him coming back down to Capernaum, because in verse 23, we, we read he was already there. Capernaum is only it's within 20 miles of Nazareth, located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to do much of his ministry in this area as we go throughout the Gospel. If you just study his life, this is an area where he did much of his ministry. He said he was teaching them on the Sabbath. We talked about back in verse 16, as was his custom, being, being in the synagogue on the Sabbath, growing up. And now, as a, as a, as a rabbi, he's a teacher. He's teaching. In the, he did this regularly. It was his habit, in other words. To be present and to teach. And it says they were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. Can you imagine being in the presence of God in the flesh and hearing Him teach the Word? It it just means they were astonished for His message was with authority. Jesus' message was with authority. He wasn't like the other teachers that would come along. The other teachers, a lot of times they would just quote other rabbis. It's just men quoting other men. It reminds me of just a man getting up and giving a lecture. I don't do good with lectures. I get real bored with lectures. That's not what Jesus was doing. He was preaching with authority, guys. There's a difference between even preaching and teaching. There is teaching involved in preaching, but preaching is different than just teaching. Teaching can be more lecture. Preaching, there's always a point in preaching, and that's to get to the heart of the audience. The heart. It's it's to be heartfelt. Not just stop up here. And so can you imagine when, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ preaching, knowing men's hearts, the Word made flesh, His preaching was with authority. Always attempting to penetrate the hearts of the people. And so what was He teaching here? What was He preaching? In, in verse 32, it says, "...they were amazed at His teaching, for His message was with authority." Well, very good possibility. I would say probably the same thing he was preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth back in verse 18. Look at verse 18. If it wasn't this exactly, it was something very similar because you can rest assured he was preaching the Gospel. But look back in verse 18. This is when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting Isaiah. Because He has anointed me. To what? To preach the Gospel, the good news, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, right? Those who are captive in sin. Those who are in chains and bondage of their sin and of the devil himself. And recovery of sight to the blind. Right? The verse I just referenced a while ago. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. To set those who are blind, to give them sight. That's the purpose of His ministry. To set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So very likely He was preaching something right here in our passage in verse 32. Something very similar to that or maybe the exact same thing. This was His message, beloved. 
You just go through the Gospels. This was his message. It was all centered around the Gospel. It was all centered, centered around who he is and what he came to do. And you, can, and you can mark this down, guys. Whatever he was preaching here, he didn't veer off that message. Jesus Christ didn't veer off. He, had, he came to save sinners. He came to, to, to proclaim the message that He is the way, the truth, and the life, guys. He didn't veer off, and neither should you and I. Okay? There's a lot of important doctrines in the Bible, but we should never veer off. What, the main thing? The Gospel of Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? That's really, that's really what, when we planted this church, really that's what we try to remind ourselves of weekly. Not to veer off the main thing. No matter what it is we're talking about. Okay? If it wasn't from the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of us would be here. And we would all be headed for hell. So that's, that's our purpose here. And make no mistake about it, that was what he was. That's what he was focusing on. And his, that message he was preaching, the gospel, guys, here we start getting into our story here. It captured somebody's attention that was sitting listening to him preach. Let me tell you, when you preach the gospel, you will capture people's attention. Sometimes it won't always go positive, but you will capture people's attention. Whose attention did he, did he catch here? Well, we see it in verse 33. As he was preaching, as he was teaching, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. Whose attention did he capture? The demons. When you preach the gospel... The kingdom of darkness takes notice. Okay? <laughs> you can mark that down. It says, it says he's, an, he's an unclean demon. That just means he's impure in every possible way. He's vicious, he's evil, and he's nothing but that. There's no good qualities in a demon. None. You know, even in, even in, even in fallen mankind, the image of God is still there. It's marred because of sin. But there's nothing good in a demon. And so, it calls him an unclean demon, guys. It's not a special class of demon. That's just something to describe a demon. All of them are like that. This is demon possession. So that, he captures this guy's, this, this demon's attention. So, so, is demon possession common today? I would say yes. I would say it's probably much more common than we realize. Um, I would definitely say yes. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's, not, it's never once recorded in the Old Testament of demon possession. Now that doesn't mean there, wasn't, there weren't people demon possessed. We just don't see it recorded. Of these stories that we look at, it, just, it explodes when Jesus Christ comes upon the scene. Very heavy during, during His time and the time of His apostles. And at the end it will be the same way. When the man of lawlessness is revealed and uh, seems to Really, it'll intensify then. But, uh, but it says this, guys, in verse 33. It says, He cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with a loud voice. Literally, it was a scream. I think if you have the King James or the New King James, it says, Ha! If I'm not mistaken. Literally, this demon cried out. Jesus is preaching and, and, and you, just, you just hear Him cry out, Ha! Let us alone! Leave us alone! He does so in fear, in terror. Why would this demon be so fearful of Jesus? Why would he? Why would he be so? Just why would there be utter terror from a demon when Jesus is preaching? Well, first of all, as we're going to see in a minute, they know who he is. But think about just about his message that he's preaching—the gospel, the gospel message. But let's just assume it's um, something very similar to the verse we read in verse 18. What is Jesus saying He's coming to do? He's going to preach the gospel, the good news, and proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. He's coming to destroy the kingdom of, of the devil. That's what He's coming to do. And this demon knows it. In Matthew chapter 12, it says, He will plunder His house. The Son of Man will plunder the devil's house. What does that mean? What does that word plunder mean? It means to seize. 
He, he will seize those who belong to the devil, in other words. Every time a sinner is saved, the Son of God is plundering his house. He is seizing his possession. Do you understand that? That before you knew Christ, you were the devil's? You're the devil's. You're a child of the devil. That's what the Bible says. We're either sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ or we're the devil's. And so Jesus, He comes to plunder His house. Nope, that was mine. I'm going to die for Him. In our case, I died for Him. I purchased Him. He's mine. He's one of my sheep. See, this demon knows these things. That's why it got his attention not only who is preaching it, but even the very message he's preaching. Beloved, it's the same today. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will stir men's hearts up and it will stir the kingdom of darkness up. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ. The preaching of Christ, he says, is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. You want to make hell shake? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do a lot of things in church, guys, and the devil could care less. He could care less. Not that these things aren't good, but he he really could care less about how many potlucks we have. I like potlucks. Try to have potlucks. He could care less about what kind of programs we have, this or that. These things, I'm not saying they're neither bad or good, but what he hates and what he is terrified of is the gospel being proclaimed because his his house is being plundered as we speak and he hates churches and he hates individuals who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so we should hope we should hope that the devil hates us i believe that the devil hates our church and i say that Um, it it encourages me. Because when I read the Scriptures, that's what we're called to do is preach the Gospel. We don't don't offer a whole lot. We were just talking with Brother Bob earlier. You know, we don't have a whole lot to offer people that that maybe a lot of the big churches have. Again, not... I don't want to get back... I'm not saying big church, small... There's small churches that are horrible. There's big churches that are great. What I'm saying is, is we don't have a whole lot to offer in the way of of other stuff. But what we do have is Christ. And the devil hates that. Oh, he hates it. We could come in here and again, just do a lot of things and he could care less. But we preach the Gospel even more so, preach it out there. He hates it. He hates it. And so, that's why I can say that, that Satan hates our church from the very quote of Spurgeon. That's true. It's, that's the whip that flogs the devil. It's the thunderbolt. It makes all hell shake when you preach that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And, you, and people repent and they come out of the kingdom of darkness. Oh, he hates that. But look at verse 34. In Luke, in Luke 4, and down verse 34, so, so, he, so he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, what did Jesus come to do? Well, we know He came to save sinners, right? God so loved the world, sent a Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But 1 John 3.8 also tells us, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And this demon knows it. This demon knows the Bible. Do you understand that? The demons know the Bible. He would have also known Matthew 25, 41. The great judgment, right? Where the nations are standing before Jesus, the judge. The goats are on His left. The sheep are on His right. And He says to those on His left, Depart from Me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. This demon knows that day's coming. He is terrified. He is terrified. Have you come to destroy us? One of the commentators I read, he said that that question might have possibly even been just a statement, not a question. 
You have come to destroy us. Because they know that time's coming. In other words, is it already here? Am I going to be cast into hell? I'd be terrified too. Because remember, there's no salvation for demons. That day's coming and they know it. They know it. He says, if you come to destroy us, just meaning us, meaning all the other demons. Beloved, demons would normally rather stay hidden. That's what we see most, most of the time. They would normally rather stay hidden. They don't want to blow their cover, in other words. But they couldn't hold it in. Many times when they see Jesus coming in His ministry, they can't hold it in. Just the terror of, of, of the Son of God. They shout out in fear. You know, I mentioned a while ago that, that, that we see the demonic activity, demon possession, just burst onto the scene at the time of Christ and His apostles. You know, so we ask that question, why was it so heavy? Well, because the kingdom of darkness was doing everything it could, again, to thwart the purposes of God. And also, just because of the sheer terror. These demons, they, they, they couldn't hold it in. It, it's almost like a, it made me think of a child... You know, say, say like you're watching a movie, you know, and a family's huddled down and there's danger coming and you're... And the kid just, he can't, he can't take it. Ah! And he screams and gives himself away. That's what this demon's like. He just shouts out in fear and terror because he's so terrified of the one who's preaching. Have you come to destroy... Is it that time already? I know who you are, is what he says. You see that often. The account we read earlier. I know who you are. These demons. Beloved, these were holy angels that Jesus Christ created. He was in heaven with them. They know who this is. They know what's coming. He said, I know who you are. You think of professed atheists in our, in our land, right? Professed atheists. Liberal theologian. Theologians. Cultists. They may deny His person. They may deny who Jesus Christ is, but these demons know. And what does James say? They believe in the one true God and they tremble. They tremble. They're fearful. They shudder in fear. Many people in this world, they don't even have the faith of a demon. They know God exists because Paul tells us they know God exists in Romans 1, but they don't fear. They don't shudder. They know God exists and they blaspheme His name because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Beloved, to, to try to understand the, the fear that these demons had of Jesus Christ, these, these unholy demons, to try to have an idea of, of the fear that these evil demons would have of Jesus Christ, think about different accounts in the Scriptures where we see holy men of God being afraid having a fear of Christ. When you think about Isaiah's vision of, of Christ, this was Christ in, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah, prophet of God, right? This is a holy man of God. And he has a vision of the Lord in His glory. And he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. This was the prophet of God saying, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This was the Lord Jesus Christ that He saw in that temple. You can read about that in John chapter 12. Revelation 1.17 The Apostle John When I saw Him This would have been the, the risen Christ The exalted Christ When I saw Him What does He say? I fell at His feet like a dead man. This was one of His apostles seeing Christ in His glory I fell at His feet Feet like a dead man and placed it, and, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Don't be afraid. In other words, stop being afraid, John. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Can you imagine how terrified these demons are? They have a right to be afraid. If you're not a Christian, you have a right to be afraid. Of God. Don't die and be in that category and hear the words, depart from me. 
accursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Flee to Jesus Christ and find refuge. They're terrified of Christ, beloved, and they're terrified of the gospel. They're terrified of the gospel. Now, should you fear demons? If you're a Christian, no. You should not. The song we sang, the uh, Mighty Fortress, that was, in that, that was in those words. But not because it's in those words, but you should not fear demons if you're a Christian. Let me say this, they fear you because of whose you are and because of the message you have to proclaim. There's a sense in they fear you. Now, we don't want to be naive about demons. We don't want to be naive. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes, but we don't need to walk in fear of demons. We need to fear God. Amen? Fear God. 1 John 4.4 If you're a Christian, this is true of all of us. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Gospel. Again, they hate you and they fear you. Not because you're anything special, but because Christ owns you. And because you have a message that they're fearful of and they despise. Jesus plundered the devil's house and He took you away from Him. They hate and fear your message, beloved. There's a war that's been going on since the beginning of creation. Remember what God told the serpent. First we go back to, it seems like almost every week, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Well, there's a battle going on between the, the, the seed of the woman and His seed, meaning believers in Jesus Christ, the offspring of, 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 of Christ, spiritually speaking, and the seed of the serpent. It's, it's a cosmic war. Unbelievers persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, inspired by demons. And it will continue on until the end. You know, I think of a couple... Again, I think demon possession is probably more common than we realize. It's hard to tell, maybe. But I think of just a few times over the years that possibly could have been. I think of a man at the bus station several years ago. And, and, and again, whether it's demon possession, it's all demon related. But I think Trish was with me that day. Remember that guy several years ago? Big guy had a beard. And he was standing over to the right behind the, the glass. And for 10 minutes, and I, this is no exact, it, it was for 10 minutes straight, as loud as he could. I mean, literally, I'm not talking just like, I'm talking as loud as he could. Sh- I can't repeat it, shut the bleep up. As loud as he could, literally, and he was loud. I just outlasted him because I had an amp. But he just, shut, I mean, till literally his voice just like ran out. And it was just, what would possess a man to do that? I mean, just the hate, I mean, it was just like, it was monstrous sounding. It was just, it's like, just those words. <laughs> Probably hundreds of times. I think of meeting with the, uh, the leader of the, of the Hebrew Israelite group that I met with. You know, and just look at him in the eye and across the table from him for two hours. And I think, man, that, if, if I've ever been close to a man that was demon-possessed, he seemed like he was. So I don't know, you know, if I've ever been around somebody who actually was. But uh, obviously we know it's the same demons roaming the earth. And I think, I think it's probably more common than we realize. And so, but, but the first thing we see, guys, is just they're desperate. For, we need to understand that. This is not like a tug of war between the devil and Jesus. The kingdom of darkness is terrified of him. And it's expressed in these encounters with demons. So the second thing we're going to see is Jesus' demonstration of power. The power of Jesus over demons is the title of the message. Verse 35 through 37. The demonstration of power. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him, down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all. And they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Church, with a word, he cast 
the demon out. With a word. That's all it took. That's all it took. He didn't need a formula. Right? He didn't need to perform an exorcism. He didn't need holy water to sprinkle on him. He is the holy water. Amen? He said, I am the living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's only one holy water. And it's Jesus Christ. Just a word. I want to I show you this just a few places here. Turn to John chapter 5. Just a word is all it took, guys. We see the power. You could say power or authority. Power and authority of Jesus Christ. Show you a couple things that He does just with a word. In John 5, looking at verse 25 to begin with, we're going to see two resurrections here. The first one is in John 5.25, guys. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What is this referring to? This is referring to conversion. This is referring to when His people, when His sheep hear His voice, those who are spiritually dead, they live. This is the illustration that Ezekiel shares in Ezekiel 37, I believe. The valley of dead bones. Right? When the gospel is preached. It's really the supernatural voice of the Son of God coming through His Word and dead sinners come to life. That's what that's referring to. Now look down in verses 28-29. It's talking about another resurrection, but this is the physical resurrection. Of all people at the return of Christ, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. When Jesus Christ returns at the sound of His voice, both believers and unbelievers alike will be resurrected with new resurrected bodies. There will be no bargaining. There will be no argument. At the sound of His voice, in a word. It's like when God calls a sinner to Himself through the preaching of the Gospel, through the voice of the Son of God, they will come. Says no one, Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. We told our... Uh, Youngest boy one time. And he said, I, he just he's in a place where he doesn't believe right now. And he even made the comment before, yeah, he knows the gospel inside out. But he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to come to Christ. I said, if God draws you, you will. <laughs> and there will be no arguing. And you'll do it willingly. That's the power of God, guys. That's the power of the gospel. It just takes a word. Revelation 19.15 Jesus coming back on a white horse from His mouth comes a sharp sword. What's that, guys? Is that a literal sword? No, that's His Word. From His mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it, with His Word, He may strike down the nations. Just one word. His enemies will be destroyed. Beloved, you and I have not been commanded anywhere in Scripture, to go around casting out demons. Did you know that? Nowhere in Scripture have you and I been commanded to go around casting out demons. The casting out of demons was reserved for Christ and His apostles and some others, like 70 others that Jesus appointed in Luke chapter 10. And you could throw a few others in there. In the same way, if you doubt that, in the same way, you and I have no authority or power to command somebody without a leg or an arm for that arm to grow back. Or to go to a cemetery and see someone raised from the dead. Those gifts and that authority was reserved for the apostles, for Jesus Christ and His apostles, and a few others. And so just a few things about the casting out of demons. Never, never when Jesus delivered one from demons was there a direct reference or correlation with forgiveness of sins. In other words, just because somebody, a demon was cast out doesn't mean that their sins were forgiven. 
Maybe sometimes there were, maybe sometimes they weren't. But in the same sense, nor did all that were delivered from demons repent and believe. Some maybe did. I think maybe the, maybe the one we read about in Mark, the demoniac, it doesn't say necessarily, it said he went and told people what Jesus did for him. In other words, guys, the casting out of demons in the Scriptures, it wasn't connected to somebody's faith. You just don't see that. Also, those who had demons cast out weren't necessarily more wicked than other sinners. Maybe sometimes there were, but not necessarily. In Mark chapter 9, you read, about account, you read an account about a father bringing his boy who had a demon. Jesus cast out. This man here today in our text, we know nothing about this man really before or after other than he was an unbeliever if he was demon-possessed. But we know nothing about him after. We don't know about anything about him. Beloved, the emphasis, why do I say all that? Because there can be so much confusion. The emphasis is Jesus' power. That's the emphasis here. The power of Jesus Christ. That's what this is portraying. After Jesus and the apostles, and I heard John MacArthur say this, and I agree wholeheartedly, the only way to be truly delivered from demons is through believing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Do I believe exorcisms are real that we see? Absolutely not, I don't. Especially when they're portrayed by the Roman Catholic Church. These people need Christ and they're out there casting out demons. Now, maybe in a supposed exorcism, a demon may just choose to leave on his own to cause the deception to grow even worse. Because even if one could cast out a demon, let's say, without the Gospel, like that's what's portrayed in our world. They just come and they do the little spell and the demon leaves. Even if that could happen and does happen, that's a dangerous thing. Flip over to Matthew 12 real quickly and I'll show you. Any kind of, any kind of casting out demons apart from the Gospel of Jesus Christ is going to make the situation worse. Very possibly. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43-45. through 45. Just want to note this, make a point. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Now, this is, this is not even talking about an exorcist. It's just talking about when a demon leaves, leaves a man because they can leave whenever they want. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it, find, it finds it unoccupi- unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is... That is the way it will be with this evil generation. you hear that? If a demon leaves a person apart from the Gospel, in other words, and the Holy Spirit doesn't come in, he'll just go get other demons and they'll come back. He said that's the way it is with this wicked evil generation. You know what that is, guys? That is moral reform without Christ. And I think of a lot of religious people. There may be a lot of religious people that are void of Christ, that are actually full of demons. According to that verse, that's a scary thing, beloved. That is a scary thing. Now this whole whole point is the power of Christ. The power of Christ. The power of His Gospel. What does it say in verse 35? But Jesus rebuked Him saying, Be quiet and come out of Him. Can you imagine being there on that day? Can you imagine the people that witnessed this? Well, we'll see the reaction here in a minute. Be quiet. In other words, shut up. <laughs> he didn't need publicity from a demon. We also see in verse 35, just on a side note, His compassion. You know, we're talking about Jesus casting out demons and performing miracles. We can't, out, we can't miss the fact that He's just demonstrating His compassion towards people. It says, it says the demon 
And when the demon had thrown him down, thrown the man down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. Jesus was compassionate even in that, not allowing the demon to do him any harm. But this is authority, beloved. This is authority demonstrated over the kingdom of darkness. That's what's going on here. Again, verse 18, he, he tells what his mission is. To set free those who are oppressed. Oppressed from who? The devil. To give sight to those who are blind. Blinded by who? The devil. And these demons know it. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Here's the point, guys. Here's the point of all of this. If Jesus is really going to deliver sinners, He had to have the power to do so, right? It's one thing to say, I came to do this, but do you have the power to do it? This was a demonstration of that power. And He did it effortlessly. That's what He's doing. It's easy for Him. The kingdom of darkness has nothing on Jesus Christ. With a word, He will destroy it at the end. With a word, He will save a sinner. With a word, He will cast the devil into hell. With a word, He will destroy His enemies. With a word, He raises dead sinners to life. With a word, every person that's ever lived will be raised with a resurrected body. With a word, this is, this is a demonstration of that power. That's what it means to be saved, guys. To be delivered. That's what the word saved means. To be delivered. It's not just... We talk a lot about justification, right? Rightly so. That we're justified. We're in a right standing with God, but we don't talk enough about deliverance. Salvation is being delivered, right Kelly? You know it's being delivered. It's being delivered from a slavery of sin. Are there deliverance ministries? Absolutely. Preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are involved in a deliverance ministry. The only deliverance ministry where God can truly deliver sinners from the bondage of Satan and it comes to the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever seen the people in the intersections in Oklahoma City? I don't know if it's another... I think this is just one outfit, one ministry, and they have, they'll have like a bucket collecting money and it'll say like they'll have shirts... Like restoration ministry, deliverance ministry. I've talked to one of those guys before, and guess what? And it's in the name of Jesus. Guess what? There's no gospel. I asked them to share with me the gospel. They didn't know what the gospel was. That's not a deliverance ministry. They may have good intentions. But without Christ, without the gospel, there is no deliverance from anything. Moral reform. Colossians 1.13 for He rescued us in, in the NAS, but in the, in the ESV to our, to our Word today. He delivered us. For He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's what God does when He saves a person. He delivers. If there are demons in that person, guess what? If a person is possessed by the devil or by a demon... And they are born again, the demon leaves. And they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I think you guys would probably agree that, that John MacArthur would not be somebody that you would consider out there and fanatic about demon possession. But I heard him tell a story that on a couple of occasions he encountered demons. One with, with a young lady that visited the church. And he said, I literally heard a, like a man's voice coming out of this lady. It was scary. Young girl. Teenage girl. They, they didn't perform some exorcism, but they, him and I think um, a fellow elder of his or a deacon, I don't remember who it was, a couple guys, they shared the gospel with this lady. And she, she was saved. Guess what? The demon was gone. That's true deliverance. The gospel is what delivers. Okay? A Christian cannot be demon-possessed and gospel ministry is deliverance ministry. And look at verse 37 in closing. And the report about Him, about Christ, was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Well, let, let, me, let me look at verse 36. A while ago I said, can you imagine being there and seeing that? Just imagine if that happened in here. <laughs> God yells out the demon, the Son of God's ever preaching, shut up! Come out of that man. 
But, they, but we can see their reaction, guys. Amazement came upon them all in verse 36. And they began talking with one another. What is this message? For with authority and power, He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. To be able to witness that. But in verse 37, the report about Him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. It was spreading. It was spreading. Beloved, and it continues to be spread today by those who have been delivered. You and I have been delivered from demons. If you're saved, you've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Whether you're possessed by the devil or whether you're saved as an eight-year-old child, you are delivered from the kingdom of darkness. All people outside of Christ need to be delivered. That's why we exist as a church. To go preach the Gospel to this world so that people can be saved. So that people can be delivered. 1 John 3.8 We looked at part of that verse earlier. And I don't remember if it was the first part or the second part. But the other part of it says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. I didn't say that. The Scriptures say that. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Doesn't matter what a person's profession is, if their lifestyle is a lifestyle of practicing habitual, unrepentant sin, it says they're of the devil. Have you been delivered from sin? You, sitting in here today, or somebody listening, have you been delivered from sin? Maybe you're, maybe you're fascinated with demons. And you think about, oh, what a fearful thing that would be to be possessed by a demon. Or, or man, you see those horror movies and, and that's demonic. Yeah, all that stuff's true. That's the obvious. But have you been delivered from your sin through believing the Gospel of Jesus Christ, through putting your faith in Christ and trusting your soul to what Jesus did on the cross for repenting of your sin? You personally. Have you turned from your sin And have you trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins? And are you following Him? See, that's the question. That's the question. If not, I would plead with you, even now, while you're sitting into your seat, repent and believe the Gospel. Call upon His name right now. Right now where you're at. If you need to talk further, I'd love to talk with you. But cry out to Him. He's the one who saves. Whosoever shall call... Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have been delivered, you're in the deliverance ministry, whether you realize that or not. So get busy telling sinners about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful, God, that that You have mercy upon sinners like us. God, whether we're... whether we've been demon-possessed or whether we live a clean life outwardly, whether we're religious, whether we're good moral people, God, outside of Christ, we all, the Bible says, are in darkness. And we need Christ. Father, I just pray if there's anybody here, anybody listening, who have not experienced the deliverance that comes through Christ and Him alone, God, that they would call out to You right now, Lord, that You would draw them to Yourself. Lord, help, help the rest of us, God, to have a burden. Father, as we, as we read about the ministry of Christ and what He came to do, Lord, that so many out in the world, God, they're oppressed. Oppressed by the devil. Oppressed by their own sin, Lord. That They're held captive by the cords of their sin. Just like many of us were for so long. Father, blinded, believing everything but the truth. Being led like a sheep to the slaughter, Lord, and not even realizing it. Father, may You give us a burden for souls. Father, help us to love one another as we're in this battle for souls, God. Christ is the one who is victorious, God. We are victorious, we are, we are victorious in Christ, but we are part of the battle, God. You, you use us. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would just break our hearts for those who do not know You, Lord. And Lord, just help us to walk 
to follow the example of our Lord, to walk in the power of Your, of your dear Spirit, and to trust in the truth of Your Word, God, not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge You as You direct our path. Father, I just thank You for everybody here, Lord. Pray that Jesus Christ would receive the glory that's due His name in our lives. Father, we ask it in His name. Amen.